Hello and welcome to episode 268 of Three Bears in a Movie. I'm Richard Laird and I'm with... John McKay. Hello. Hello, Colin. It's nice to have you on a... It's a Friday night. It's, it's a normal time for us doing this as well. It is. It? I know. Last week, it was weird last week. It did feel like there was something missing during yes. the because we'd done it on the Sunday. It was like... It, was like, it felt like a weird week there was that, that kind of that this therapy we need was missing. Yes, and also I'm quite this week I'm looking forward to more because I feel the last couple of weeks we've been a wee bit rushed and getting through stuff. We've life has been in our way and they've been quite short. Yeah. But this week we've got a lot of movies to talk about and we've got a fair wee bit of time to, yeah, to discuss. So can, it's nice we, we can, can actually get into this chew, a wee bit better. Some cud over some films. Yes. We'll, we'll do that. Yeah. Let's start by the big question. What are you drinking? Um because I'm exceptionally tired, I'm drinking Coke Zero. <laughs> um, because <laughs> So it turns out Richard trying to live a, um, a, a 19-year-old's lifestyle of going to gigs and having a nice time and also having a new puppy in the house is, does not work, and also work a full-time job. And does work not, a full-time job does and not, in the house as well. Yeah. Yes, um, absolutely does not allow a, um, a 37-year-old man um, the ability to sleep or, or stay awake, essentially. So, it yeah. is quite, when you do think about the lifestyle of like a kind of 19 to 25-year-old compared to now, it's like, it, it, just the, the energy you've got that age is insane compared oh, to I'm sure, there's people, I'm sure there's older people out there with energy. energy yeah. like, you know, my experience is like, no, you don't have it. It's, no. <laughs> you just don't have that that drive and enthusiasm and energy to do Aye. I get you summed up by being at gigs when you're 19. If a band does five encores, you actually want to do a six encore. Mm. Um, if you're at a gig now and a band does a second encore, you're like, you motherfuckers. Like you, you know? I, that or if they have more than two supports, you're like, what the fuck are you doing? Or, One support. Or when they go to the gig and they say, we're not going to do encores, and you're like, yes. That's yes, um, yes. <laughs> or you hear it like, happy. particularly Mr. Frank Turner I saw on Tuesday night. And he was um, uh, he put a thing out in the morning saying uh, the gig starts at 6 p.m. Bander on stage by seven, he'll be off by ten. I'm like, ah, oh, that is that is bliss. what you want to hear. Yeah, that, that is bliss. Um, so yeah, we're definitely aging, sir. Yeah, what are you drinking tonight, Colin? Uh, today I'm drinking. I've had this before. It says it's the Shemelian Craft Lab. Ooh, harvesting. Yeah, it says just it's a nice generic kind of drink that, that goes down easy. Um, so I, I picked that up on the way home from the cinema today, and yeah, I, I, I do enjoy it. Well, I like you're keeping the end up of having a drink. I will try my best just to have a drink for next week because um, hopefully I won't be quite as exhausted um, and I can go actually go and buy some. I have got beer in the fridge, but I did promise something not Stuart Brewing or Brewdog. Um, well, so that's why. Well, the name Three Beers in the movie, we kinda, it was a cool sounding name. It's not, we're not obliged to have three beers while discussing movies. No, it used to be the case <laughs> so we pretty much would have that, but that's now oh, yeah, very much yeah. changed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> let's go into some, some chat about what we've been watching. So, non cinema stuff, what you've been watching. Like, I'm going to assume you've been watching your Poison Death show. Oh, the... yeah, this week was the one I've been waiting for. So, that this week was. Um, What's it called again, the show? The Kings of Pain. Kings um, of Pain. Kings of Pain. And this week was, was, was one they were basing it on what fish you would keep in your aquarium. So, this is basically fish that people keep as household pets. Um, right. So they got stung by two fish and they let a shrimp like kind of punch them. On, on oh, I've seen that. They, they, they make a noise apparently so loud yeah. off the coast of like, I think it's Massachusetts and, and Cape Cod. Like they, 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 they travel in swarms of like something like 20 million and the noise is so loud at certain times of the year because like maybe they're mating or something like that that it can yeah. keep people on shore awake. Wow. Um, they've been known to kind of break out, smash the aquarium glass as well, which yeah. is... Quite hard to do because that's very fit. But yeah, they let one of them punch them. Um, they got stung by Dory, basically a blue tongue. Um, well, they, are they poisonous? Yeah, well, they've got a mild venom, but they've got like razor sharp spines on them um, as well. And then they, they they let a rabbit fish sting them, which was like really venomous. Um, Ooh, a rabbit yeah, fish sounds yeah. interesting. Paralyzed their hands for like two days and shit like that. So Jesus, I've been looking forward to this one. I was like, oh, it's not let down. So I was like, oh, this is good. Um, so yeah, what's that? Um, again, like. Other than a wee surprise I found last night, that was the thing I most looked forward to watching. Um, it's, it's became my, my wee what, guilty pleasure that I really, really enjoyed. It's definitely a guilty pleasure, absolutely. Sounds um, like it. I've also watched She-Hulk, which I know you haven't yet, no. so I won't discuss to say it, other than everyone knows, yes, Matt Murdock is in She-Hulk. Um, yeah. And Rings of Power. Um, we're on no, watched it, not up to date with it yet. I watched the uh, most, I watched, think, the, not this week, the week before's. Cool. Oh, so the battle one. The battle one the was battle awesome. One. Yeah, so this is the aftermath um, yeah. and penultimate episode. And yeah, carries on quite well. Gives a nice kind of flow from what happens. You know, can obviously wind it down and stuff mm. like that. Brings back the half-foots and more of the dwarfs and stuff like that. Nice. And you kind of see where it's all heading, do you know what I mean? And 
know where it's going for the next mm. the next season uh, as well. Cool. Um, I, that. Think, I think that's it. A few episodes of Modern Family. Um, told nice. you me and Larry aren't a term for that again, so we've we done that as well. Um, but that's that's been me for TV shows. One movie that I watched. Um, we're doing a Halloween, but you and King of Jill tend to do as well as you pick yes. horror movies. Last night, um, Lorraine's choice was Theatre of Blood, which is a 1973 horror oh, film yes. starring Vincent Price. Yes. <laughs> it's, not one of his, it's not one of his last movies as well. It's not quite well, late on his career. I'm not too sure, but uh, basically he's a, he's a failed, he's a Shakespearean theatre actor who critics rob him of an award and he basically wasn't a killing spree murder and said critics one by one. Um, hammy as fuck. Um, mm. An excuse for Price to, to spout out Shakespeare, which he's amazing at doing. Yeah. Um, and some ridiculously set up deaths, um, including a guy eating his poodles and a cake. Um, great fun. Great, great fun. Both is thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm talking it's definitely not one of his last films. The man was in Edward Lizard Hand, for God's sake. Mm. So he was around for a lot longer than yeah. Um, he cites this as being his favourite movie that he's ever made. Oh. Um, and it starred Diana Dawes and she said it was her favourite movie or Diana Riggs she said it was her favourite movie that she's ever made as well oh, okay. um, no, well, you... where was that was it on, uh, Amazon? on Amazon Amazon it's just pure fun it's pure slocky slocky fun but um, Vincent Price when he spouts Shakespeare it's that voice has I mean, yeah. it's just perfect uh, great great fun and like I say very imaginative deaths and stuff like that um, nice I turned, I turned on since I think I'm sure I heard like Dave Grohl was talking about that film when he was talking about his Studio 666 movie mm. like he sort of he took a bit of inspiration from like the sort of the madcap and insanity of, of that film yeah, when he came to it, it, what, what it does nicely is it doesn't take itself it knows what it is you know it's, yeah. it's all going to the wink in there and slide looks, looks to the camera and stuff so it knows exactly what it is if you've not seen it I, I, would I don't think I have seen it no my, I have a lot of, I have a real Blank spot for that type of horror, you know. So I may definitely, have to definitely a fan favorite as well for that type of film and for Vincent Price aficionados. That's a fan favorite as well. So it's probably a good starting point. Then. I think mean, only Vincent Price I've really saw is like House on Haunted Hill and stuff like that. I've seen that. Yeah. I've not really seen a lot of yeah. Vincent Price stuff. Like I know obviously who he is. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I used to watch when I was a kid. I used to watch like this and all the Doctor Fives movies and stuff like yeah. that. So I'm quite quite a fan. You're quite a fan of the man. Um, the only thing I've watched at home that I'm going to insist that you watch at some point, or in fact, watch it this week. It's on Disney Plus. And it's called The Bear. Mm. And it's like it's a comedy drama, but it's definitely more on the drama side. It's comedy in the sense of it's watching funny. It's watching really dramatic people say things that are really kind of very funny when they're, when they're said by really good actors. Okay. Um, but it's like this guy who's like sort of a, a fine dining chef who inherits his brother's sandwich shop after his brother commits suicide. And it's him trying to run it with a bit of class, but also adhering to what his brother was doing and dealing with people in the kitchen as well. So it's mainly all set in the kitchen amongst like the kitchen staff and how they all mm. deal with each other. It is He's getting kind of chef vibes a wee bit from it. Chef, but it's not as food porny as chef. Yeah. Um, actually, the better way to describe it because it feels more like. Um, what was that film with Adam Sandler when he's got the recent film Adam Sandler? It's the one when he's trying to oh uncut gems. Right. It's more like uncut gems, but written by yeah. Aaron Sorkin. That's the way he best described okay. it. Um, but it's every every episode's a heart attack so far. Because everyone is so fucking highly strong, which is brilliant about it. That's what a kitchen is like. Um, but it really genuinely captures what a dynamic of what a kitchen is. Um, Which we both have discussed before. We both have experience, first-hand experience yes. of, and it's a, a universe that we understand yes. all too well. Yeah. Everything yeah. in this feels very familiar when I'm watching it, but it's a fantastically well-done show, and I am absolutely loving it. Who's in it? Is there any... No one that I really recognise of note. The only guy who's in it, apparently, the main guy who plays the main chef is um, he's in the American remake of Shameless. Okay. Um, his name is, he's apparently quite a bit of thing just now, um, Jeremy Allen White. He's a man who just looks very intense and very stressed at all times. You know, um, nothing about him. Part. Yeah, perfectly part. He plays, he plays Chef on the Edge exceptionally well. How, is it kind of short and snappy or are they quite Yeah, they're only like half an hour episodes each. Yeah, have you done it all? Have you, have you been to No, no, not done it all yet, but I'm going to finish this weekend. Okay, cool. I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. There we go. Right, so, yeah, the bear, watch it. It's very good. You'll definitely appreciate it because of, like, we both recognise the world. We have met Mad Men in kitchens. Yes, and there's a, <laughs> and there's a lot of stuff I really like about it. it has, it's a it's very inaccurate version of what a kitchen is. There's a lot yeah. of, they use, a, use a lingo properly, which I was really happy at. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that annoyed me a little bit was he had a 
flesh-coloured plaster on, which obviously that is never done. Um, there's just some really nice touches of things that I remember from my kitchen that I really enjoy. Um, like them all sitting down for a meal before service starts. Used to be my like, favourite thing when I worked in the kitchen for that moment when you could sit down and... Whatever, like, the, yeah, over the, to the waiting staff, your turn, go. Yeah, yeah. it was more of like, it was yeah. like sort of, regardless of position in the kitchen, there was a real sense of like everyone's in the same place yeah. at that point. Yeah, you get that five minutes before the first course starts coming back in as duck dishes, yeah. and then it's just go. Yeah, that's um, awesome. Very, very quick horror story um, related to the, the plaster comment, um, plaster, plaster, band-aid, whatever mm. listeners call it. Um, at, at one point I had a brief stint of working as a butcher. Um, I sliced my finger open and I put on a plaster um, and I was making some sausage meat and the plaster disappeared. Oh, seen, shit. Seen again, so... Someone is, is eating a plaster. Yeah, covered in my manky finger blood. Um, oh. So, apologies for... <laughs> if you if you were a Hulk-type creature, you would have passed on your Hulk powers. Well, probably passed on my geek powers. Probably, possibly. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Disney Plus, the bear, check it out. You'll, you'll very much enjoy it. Um, Speaking of Disney Plus, let's talk about the first Disney Plus movie we'll talk about this week, and that is a mm. film called Hocus Pocus 2, uh, directed by Anne Fletcher, who directed a film, who directed a lot of films actually, she directed 27 Dresses with Catherine Heigl, uh, The Proposal with Ryan Reynolds, Hot Pursuit with Renee Zellweger, Reese Wilson, um, Love Victor, and most recently Dumplin'. Um, so she's got a bit of a, she has got some pedigree. She's got experience about behind the camera yeah yeah, yeah so she's done something so plot this one it sets up about 30 years after Hocus Pocus which we all saw as kids or you slightly older kid yeah. um, and once again someone lights the, the, the black candle the black flame candle mm-hmm. and thus bringing back the three witches um, mm-hmm. who again want to basically eat the souls of children in yeah. order to live forever but at the same point there's also they want to do a magic spell that would give them unbridled power yeah, so that's, that's a new little MacGuffin that's in the show as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that's pretty much it in a fucking nutshell. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. um, in the film, you've got Bette Midler back as um, yeah. uh, Sarah yeah. Jessica Parker and Kathy Nanjimi. They play the Sanderson sisters. Um, an interesting supporting cast, you've got Sam Richardson popping up in a role that did not feel befitting of a man of his talents. Yeah. Um, Doug Jones, Whitney Peak, Melissa Escobedo, and Tony Hill um, also pop up in it as well in a, a very small role. Um, yeah. I'll start with this one. I thought it was a very lacklustre sequel that really failed to capture any charm of the original. Um, the, the three leads, I still thought they slid back into what the roles were very well, and they seemed to really enjoy what they were doing. They were having a ball. They were just having an absolute blast. Yeah. Of they seemed to, obviously... Well. Enjoyed these characters the first time they played them, and it seemed to sort of be re- relishing the idea of getting back into them. Even you know, Sarah Jessica Parker has become a much bigger actress since yeah. this came out. Yeah, was yeah. quite happy playing like second fiddle, third fiddle, even to like Bette Midler. And um, you, you can't outshine Bette Midler. Can't outshine Bette, Bette Midler. It's true. Bette Midler, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. Like so, um, just they were the best thing. They were the thing that kept see, me watching it. See the original. Mm-hmm. What's her songs in the first one? There's one song when she sings at the party when she hypnotizes all the, the parents. Right. Okay. Because I couldn't remember it. And they done. There's a few music numbers in there. But that's um, the, the, there's a band at that point, and it's like they, she basically just does a Michael J. Fox and Back to the Future and like hijacks the band and sings a song, and they all the all the the parents get like hypnotized. Mm-hmm. This one, when they first appear, they suddenly they're singing and dancing. Yeah, it's, that felt out of place. There's, there's musical numbers in it, um, which mm-hmm. I thought were well done, though. They, they were like kind of unnecessary, but they were every, everyone likes a good. I mean, and Beck, Beck can sing. Oh, Christ, yeah, the woman, yeah. The woman has a voice. Um, um, but yeah, they're the best thing in it. The, the actual story around that is there's, it's pointless and nothing. And if anything, what I really hated about it most, and I say hated, was it's the problem of what recently in cinema of this reclamation of villains. Like, mm. they were baddies. They're, they want to eat children's souls to yeah. live forever. There's, there's nothing wrong with being baddies. They're making, them, they've almost made them anti-heroes in this. Aye, they're almost say, trying to make them like yeah. they're not as baddies. And it's like, oh, I don't yeah. need that. Like, make them baddies. That's yeah, there's nothing wrong with witches being baddies. Yeah, they're witches. That's yeah. the, that's that's the, the gimmick. Do you know what I mean? Is yeah. they, they do bad things. Let them you can have witches. You can have good witches, no problem with that. You can have witches who are like anybody else who are like some mixture of good, mixture of bad, but mm. they're just bad witches. That's the point. Yeah. 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 So keep them as that. Yeah, they shy away for that a lot, but uh, I did like the young girl playing the young Bette Midler. I thought she was very good. 
the, the, the freedom and actually the, the, the other two were in as much but the freedom were quite good and the yeah. real, real story was quite nice because it was kind of 15-20 minutes that opening yeah. segment wasn't it as well so that was a nice wee, a nice wee backstory what didn't convince I enjoyed the exact same as you the three leads were perfect um, and they just totally they, they, they kind of wore their own like an old pair of slippers yep. I mean it was just straight back in it was the kids I didn't they buy them in the slightest no yeah, I didn't buy them at all yeah they just very kind of heavy-handed characters and it, no real explanation as to, to like, why. Do anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, you know, they're there. They can do this. Why can they do that? We're not telling you. They just can fucking accept it. So there was no kind of backstory for them, which might have helped. And also, Doug Jones wasted. Um, Doug Jones is, is, is a beautiful creature. The, the, the man's... He can do wonderful a, things. He's living art, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And to, to kind of put him in that role and give him nothing to do. Was, I thought that was a bit of a shame. Aye, but wasted. Um, mm. I just very much felt like streaming fodder. That was just sort of yeah. like preying on the nostalgia of the first one in, in kind of the worst possible way. You know, it's just like people just going, oh, I remember the first one, I'm going to watch this because I love the first one. And then you watch it, you go, this is not very good, but you feel... Comp- it, it, got, it had a day on Twitter when everyone was talking about it and everyone was reminiscing about yeah. the first one, but ultimately it's nothing more than that. It's... it's it's it'll disappear after like 48 yeah. hours on yeah but not, not to be all mean to it um it was fun but when they were in the free room and camera it, it was fun um to see it did have the big dance number which uh despite not like musicals i rather enjoyed that i do yeah. have a big dance number that was fun as well so it did have its fun moments um and there's definitely you know a lot worse ways to spend it was like kind of just over 90 minutes so, so nine minutes and like i said it's it, worth it for the three of them you know bet sarah yeah, jessica yeah. And, and kathy and, and jimmy are, are, are excellent together. I thought, um, even going back to the first one though, they, they, they kind of do make SJP quite sexy, don't they? Like, That's the point, like, yeah, she, she's, she's like... like the, the kind of dopey sexy one, do you know what I mean? But uh-huh. like, suspenders and the way she sits in the room, you're like, oh, I don't know what kind of want my kids watching, watching that. She was, she was. I remember as a kid watching it and she was like, oh, she's like the, like, the hot one, like you, you feel like yeah, you're... Yeah. Got drawn yeah, to say the, um, the legs and stuff like that are shown in his. It's a bit racy, isn't it? Oh, yeah, they made it a lot. <laughs> they made it a lot dumber, I think, than like the character at the start seems to be. Like, see the young version, where it doesn't seem quite as dumb yeah, as she is. Yeah, they kind of really, yeah, they really kind of dumbed down. Um, I, I, I enjoyed the room buzz. That was fun. Obvious but fun. Um, yeah, yeah. I also felt bad, Sam Richardson. Why is he in? Like, why is he doing this film? What is he's he, was he the mayor? No, that's Tony Hale. So much of the oh, guy who owned the magic shop. Owns the magic shop. Yeah, he the ones in Wales within. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, it was all right in it, but again, it's like no, no character direction, no character backstory. He's just, he's just a character there to move things along. Do you know what I mean? With no, no flesh in him. He was having a moment recently when he got a couple of big hitters. He came out. He was in that one with Chris Pratt about the people going back from the future and stuff like that. He, he, had, a, mm. he had a moment. He was in a lot of stuff, yeah. and it's just like. Seems a very odd choice. Maybe unless maybe it's a contractual agreement. He's like he's been this before he kind of hit bigger. I'm guessing. Maybe you know? it's original. Something could be. That's all it takes. Isn't it? Right so, yeah, um, out of ten, what are you giving it? Um, I'll give it. Uh, I'm going to give it a six. I'm not going to be too mean to it because I did enjoy the the, the three leads were, were, were fun and I did have a few giggles. So six. Six. Yeah. I'm giving it a yeah. four. Four. Ooh. So average of five. Five. We'll give it a five. Five seems fair. Yeah, that does. That, that, that's that'll, I'll take. I'll take that. Um, right. But yeah, yeah. Um, just for the leads, though, um, if if they weren't in it, it would. Have been oh God! It, too, it, too it lives and dies on them. Yeah, lives and dies absolutely. on them. Because let's move on to second film, one that you saw today. I have not mm. seen, um, and we'll call that film Vengeance. That's what it's called. Um, so this is directed by B. J. Novak, who everyone yeah. will probably know from The Office, but um, if you don't know from The Office, I know him from Inglorious Bastards as well, um, and I believe this is his. Feature debut, I this think. This is his directorial debut. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. in the film you've got um, DJ Novak, and uh, obviously in, in the film as well, he's directing himself. You've got yeah. Lloyd Holbrook, who I've always quite enjoyed in most things he's did. Yeah. Um, Dove Cameron, Isa Ray, Ashton Kutcher, um, yeah. Isabella Amara, uh, Jay Smith Cameron, and Leo and Leo Tipton. Um, and John Mayer apparently pops up in it as well. Yeah, so it's, it's got a fairly sizable, decent cast. Um, what's it about? So I went into this one completely blind today. No okay. idea what it was. I was like, I'm going to go and see, it took a day off work, I'm going to go and see two movies and this is one of them. Um, okay. The premise of this film is um, the, the the main guy, BJ, and um, John Mayer um, at the start are talking to each other. And they're just like a couple of kind of 30-something things that, you know, kind of date lots of girls, have lots of phone numbers and dismiss them and mm. 
um, you know, kind of living, living, living the best life. Um, you know, kind of typical obnoxious kind of laddish, loutish behaviour. It's not what I call um, white boys. White boys, exactly what that is. White frat boys. Um, BJ gets a phone call um, saying that his girlfriend's died. Right. Um, he says, uh, which confused because he doesn't have a girlfriend, and it turns out one of the girls he dated has died, and she led her family to believe that he was the love of her life. So he travels to Texas to go to the funeral, um, attends the funeral, uh, buys into it, okay, I play along, and the brother of the dead girlfriend convinces him that she was murdered, um, and he decides to start a podcast based around this. Um, is this is this serial the movie? Is this what this is basically? No, no, <laughs> it's it's kind of not. That's what I thought when that kind of was building up. But no, the podcast more becomes about him discovering America, right? Really, and, and America's people and and who they are and what yeah. they are, um, while trying to to kind of uncover this this kind of murder plot as well. Right. Um and it basically just kind of follows him. Um, you know, recording people talking to him. Um a bit kind of Doc Hollywood fish out of water. Um, you know, right, him, okay. Yeah, to, see that the family embracing him and stuff like that, even though he wasn't, you know, in any way involved with us, get all than a kind of casual, casual thing. Um and, and that's pretty much the movie in a nutshell. Um just kind of follows his wee journey of making this podcast and, and recording and speaking to people and uncovering what actually happened and stuff like that as well. Um, standout performance. Uh, standout performance was Mr. Kutcher, believe it or not. Well, he turns up as like a record producer, um, who out in this wee kind of backwaters town has got this kind of mansion and he records people and tries to, you know, encourage them to, to be famous. And right. he kind of spouts philosophical nonsense along the way, but he does it really well. Um, sounds like almost Charlie Manson esque. No, 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 much more charm. Um, you know, much not sinister, okay. but I always forget how. Good Kutcher is as an actor. He, he can be good, yeah, but he wants to be yeah, good. He can be a good yeah, actor. Yeah, he's done some really good stuff in the past. And yeah. I seen him in this, and I was like, "Wow, man, that Aston Kutcher's on us." The biggest problem with this film is um, what's his name, BJ Novak, is not a good lead. He's not strong enough no. to direct himself. He doesn't have the charisma for the character he's playing, um, and. Yeah. He's, a writer, he's a writer as well, so I think there's a lot of vanity, yeah. vanity in this. Yeah, and it is a lot of kind of introspective speech, you know, it's like his musings about kind of the world and stuff like that. So there is big, long segments of back and forth speech in right, there where okay. it's him uh, philosophising about, you know, what he thinks and stuff like that. And he, he's a pretty clever guy, but it just kind of meanders a little bit on the way. Um, mm. You know, it doesn't have, you know, it's not properly coherent. Being his first movie, it's forgivable, and you can see the potential there for that type of film. It's almost like kind of Kevin Smith, I guess. Well, see, we talked about Kevin Smith last week, the idea that you, yeah. uh, like, you know, putting your voice into a character when it comes across too much like your own voice is mm. can be big jarring in a way, and maybe not quite what you're, quite, quite what you're going for. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's, let's see, I think the, the idea is really, really good. Um, it's just not the best done. And I think given experience and a few more films, I think he has got some really good movies in him. And mm. this wasn't a terrible movie; it just wasn't a good movie either. Bloomhouse production as well. Yeah, Bloomhouse produced it. Um, mm. they, they've kind of thrown money at it as well. Um, but watchable for Kutcher. I would say Kutcher actually saves the film and it right. elevates it to, to more than more more than it should be. Um, it really kind of fizzles out at the end. You know, the last right. ten minutes is a real kind of fizzle. You know, you're right. like, okay, it was, was, you know, that that's what it was all leading to. Um, it might have served better as, as you see, a serial type. You know, let's actually do, you know, go to serial kind of route, but it, oh. it doesn't, it doesn't know where where it wants, where it wants to be, where it wants to sit. Um, but overall, not a bad. Some of the dialogue is funny, mm-hmm. and some of the observations, you know, do get you kind of thinking as well. Um, but yeah, he's, he's just not got charisma. If it was somebody else in the lead, it might have made for a better film as well. Mm. Um, I just, you, you don't believe him as, you know, that this kind of, you know, bed notching, you know, kind of playboy character almost. Uh-huh. Um, you never buy into his, his character at any point during the film. Right. Is, and if you if you if you don't have a belief in your lead, playing the lead, then you have a trouble with it for the, yeah. the film. Yeah. 
Um, John Mayer's on it for like, oh, four minutes at the start. Um, the, the other boy you mentioned. Um, sorry, second, here. second lead was very good at it. Um, uh, can't remember his name. Boyd Holbrook. He he was good. He was enjoyable as well. Um, the, the supporting cast, yeah, pretty much outdo the lead act, which mm. is, is is a big problem. But it is worth a watch because it does have some snappy dialogue. When it lands, it does land well. When it doesn't, it's just you know it's like doing your pretentious mug off. Um, Boyd Holbrook plays the Corinthian, by the way, and um, yes, and, and he's also the bad and Logan as well. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's a handsome guy. So, good actor, very, very good actor. Yeah, very. He's, he's good in this. Um, mm. all, all the supporting cast are good in this. It's just he's tried. I think next time, don't cast yourself. Let someone else carry the weight, you know, and concentrate and being behind. If, if you want to not in front of it, be a like a supporting cast member, yeah. you know, to try and do it. But uh, it takes a big actor to be able to direct, like, hold the camera and do it himself. Yeah. And especially in a directorial debut, as well, yeah. you know, that's that's it's, it's a lot to take on. And like I say, I do think give him two or three more movies, and yeah. I think he will do no, notable things. Um, I'm trying to think of who are the great directors who can actually direct themselves. Eastwood, um, Eastwood, obviously, is number one. Stand on his head. Uh, Bradley Cooper is, is because oh. he's he's a kind of Eastwood baby almost, isn't he? Yeah, he, he, he Mel can do it as well. Mel Gibson. Oh yeah, oh yeah, Mel, Mel, can I can do it. I think who else? Either end of the camera. Um, um Stolen can do it as well. Stolen can do it to a certain degree, yeah. It's definitely a definitely it's a it's a tougher ask, isn't it, to really direct? Oh, yeah. not like, I mean like John Favreau is directing himself, but he's more of like sort of a supporting role. He's not the main he's not playing Iron Man. I think that's the trick is knowing how to cast yourself. Cast yourself. As if you're Mel Gibson, you're the star you need the star power as well. I get that. Um mm. but yeah, Favreau's smart. I mean he's like, okay, I'm I'm behind the camera, here's my role, and he knows where to pigeonhole himself yeah. and to make it a, a, a complete movie. So could Woody Allen direct himself? Yeah, Alan can direct himself as well. He's only like, he's playing quite, he's playing a one kind of note character. He's, he's playing Woody Allen, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's Alan's stick, isn't it? He's, he's, mm. he's playing Woody Allen every time. But no, he can definitely direct himself as well. Yeah, definitely, but definitely an still... interesting subgenre of like actors who can direct themselves. Yeah, it's, it's it's a definitely special talent. on it. But um, like I say, I, I do think give it four or five years, and I think you'll probably see his name starting to pop up. Maybe. Oscar nods, maybe not not wins, but Oscar nods and stuff like that. I think the potential's there. You can see it just a bit raw just now and a bit bit off a bit too much, I think. Out of ten. Um out of ten, five out of ten. Out of ten. Um let's move on to that one, to one that I've seen, you've not seen. It's in it's out on Netflix right now. Um, and that is a film called Blonde, the much talked about Blonde, um, directed by Andrew Dominic, um, who is an Australian director who directed uh, Chopper. Um, mm. Many years ago, he also which is a fucking horrific film. It's horrible, <laughs> yeah. horrible. More to say as well, it's like it's Eric Banner in that film as well, isn't it? And at that point, yeah. he, was, he was a comedian at that point, Eric Banner. You yeah, know? but it's a powerhouse performance. Yeah. That's it. Kind of really, it got noticed in a big, big way. Big way you know, yeah, that's he, kind of led him on to Hulk and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah, but yeah. Chopper, a horrible, a horrible character, and it did portray him so well as yeah. oh. Ugh, Eric Banner playing myself. Chopper in that role is a bit like if someone in Brit made a film and they put like Harry Enfield in a role like that. Yeah, yeah. Feel, uh, it, yeah, it, it, yeah. It'd be totally again, you're like, what the yeah, hell? Yeah, Harry you Enfield playing Dr. Shipman, that kind of thing. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, it'd be something like, what the fuck is going on? Um, yeah. So it's, it's kind of like that level. Anyway, so, uh, yeah. they also made a film called Killing Them Softly with Brad Pitt and also Brad Pitt's sort of, you know, maybe biggest acting plaudits um, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert. Ford, Ford. Yeah, yeah, Ford. Um, so done that one as well. Um, this one, Blonde, about Marilyn Monroe. It's essentially a life story of Marilyn Monroe, um, but it's a fable story of Marilyn Monroe. It's not, it's, it doesn't really claim to be truth. It almost claims to be the imagination of the truth. A bit like that um, Spencer one with um, about Princess Diana with um, right, okay, Twilight. Cool, cool. It? It's not quite once upon times Hollywood not taking those. No, he's no. But... It's basically mm. a lot of it's sort of it's based around like pictures you've seen of Marilyn, um, right. and then sort of building stories out from there. Uh, but still, okay. the, the beats are there that you know, you know, the her growing up as Norma Jean and like sort of the, the abuse that she, she had, and then like sort of becoming like the poster girl, the pin up girl, and then the hits she had, you know, in terms of the movies and 
How's you? And then obviously yeah. the stuff with presents and present roles, etc., etc. Um, uh-huh. And eventually, so it's basically it's, it's a biopic, but it's like an imaginary biopic based in reality. I don't know if that's the weird way to put no, it. No, I can't. I kind of get get where you're going. It is, you know, it's like we've got a snapshot of Marlin, so what's behind that we don't know let's yeah. you know theorize on it okay let's Aye. you know so it's, it's based educated, on a book. educated guesses almost yeah, yeah. it's yeah. based on a book um i think i think by the same title um and that's again that's not claimed to be truth but it's sort of it's muddling the it's muddling the, the, the difference between fact and fiction. Let's put it that way. Um, and the film, you've got Anna de Armas. She plays Marilyn. Um, Adrian Brody just plays the writer, which obviously is um, Arthur Miller. She might be Arthur Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bobby Cannavale, he pops in. He plays the, the, the player, and that's he's... Joe uh, DiMaggio. Joe DiMaggio, well done. Yeah. Uh, you've also got yeah. Scoot McNary, Julian Nicholson, David Warkowski, and Xavier Samuel. Uh, oh. popping up in it so this is, this is a tough film to review because it's one of the most visually complex and interesting that you've been watching a long time you know it, it jumps between aspect ratio black and white sepia color it moves around a lot in terms of like what it's doing visually so it is insane to watch and um, mm. and it's it the way it sort of opens up like pictures you know and encapsulates reality of that moment and then expands out is in itself exceptionally impressive when you're watching it and it, it does look absolutely stunning. Um Anna de Armas is brilliant as Marilyn. Like she has it's yeah, more I was just gonna a, say, I was gonna say and everything I've seen her in and we both think she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like I've never thought of her as Marilyn no but then when you see her like that's so obvious like she's there is a fair bit of makeup and things like that done to make her look like, you know, to give it in the wig and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah. Look, but she captures something, definitely. It's not, it, it, the, the voice the is eyes, there. The eyes, I think. The, the eyes, the voice eyes, is definitely yeah, there. Yeah. Um, so she is, she's brilliant, and it's and she will probably end up getting, I don't think she'll get, based on what I'm going to say later in a wee minute, I don't think she'll get nods, but performance, she's definitely given a performance, and it's mm. definitely um, one that she can be proud of. Um, the the problem with this film it's a film about Marilyn Monroe, and we all kind of know the Marilyn story from this point of view of the male gaze, you know, of her being sort of very subservient and sort of an idea of her basically just been pushed around by the men in her life, yeah. and sort mm-hmm. of the idea she's this ultimate desire object that that men want and demand, and she's only there basically for male pleasure, like she has no yeah. agency of her own, and. This is what the film basically does. It doesn't give any sort of tones to herself as a woman. It's it's pretty no, much as this idea of Marlon as a fetish object almost. Yeah. No, I don't know if I'm right or not. My knowledge of Marlon Monroe is limited to Joe DiMaggio. That that was my yeah. that, that was, was just my swinging for fences. Right there. <laughs> Got it right. But um, was she not? She was clever. She, she was She's really insanely smart. smart. Insanely and, smart. Yes. And she was really interested in. Taking ownership of her ownership of her image, she was, she was, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is where the male comes in here is like, yes, you can't because we're Hollywood, we're studios, we fucking on you, and yeah, she got beat down basically, yeah. They make a big point of like her basically getting her bump and up the ladder based on the casting couch, Mm, right? Okay, but she was always very adamant that never happened, Okay, okay, and there's not been much evidence brought out to the floor that she. That she did, if that makes yeah. sense, you know. So it's it. So you're basing you're basing it on conjecture of like, well, she's a pretty girl. She obviously got a head because she she slept with somebody. Is this which... almost bragging rights for the casters, basically? Uh-huh. Ah, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah. So that so that is quite an uncomfortable watch. That is very much familiar, and you, and you do kind of feel like I don't really think I'm learning much more about the Marilyn Monroe character. On and they have interesting moments because she always talks about Marilyn Monroe in the film in the third person. Okay. Like yeah. if someone phones her, she'll, she'll say, like, she'll be like, no, Marlon's not here today, it's Norma. Right, okay. You know, so she, was she, she was a character. Marlon, yeah. Marlon Monroe was a character, yeah, Norma Jean yeah. was the real person, that's yeah. who she was. Which I thought would be really more, a much more interesting way to explore this, you know, this mm. dual personality idea, you know. Because um, the whole world wants Marilyn, but she can't really be arsed with Marilyn sometimes, yeah. you know. Mm. Um, so that's what, there's no real credit given to her. Um it's quite a lopsided narrative in that respect. Nothing that happens in this film is her choice. Mm. It's all very much, it's she's railroaded or pushed into it, or it's, again, to satisfy the male urge of yeah. what Marilyn was. 
So who's so so who's the target? And I don't understand who the target is because it should be an empowerment film. Yes, you know, for, for females, but it sounds like it's you know it's fucking pandering to misogynist as well. It very much is. I think I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't think that's a mistake. I think that's a choice by the director. I think he this is what he wants to do, mm. but it doesn't. It comes across to me poorly, mm-hmm. and it comes across in a way that if you're going to make a Marilyn Monroe film. Do something different to make it interesting, you know. So if you're just going to tell the Malmoral point from this point of view that everyone sort of already kind of mostly believes anyway, yeah. Why tell it? Yeah. You know, tell yeah, a different yeah. story. Tell it like you know, people have seen this this first of Marilyn, but the real Marilyn was this, you know. And it's like mm-hmm. it's a woman who was reading James Joyce by the bucket load. It was a woman who wanted to be left alone to read poetry and all that literature. Who would go toe to toe with Arthur Miller and, and things like that and would, and would like surprise the the actor studio who only all they saw was this little like this blonde kind of like bombshell but who could actually mm. act the arse off yeah. like any of them and she was yeah, fantastically yeah. funny and things and things like that. But they don't and ever explore that part. Even more so if it's taking factual liberties, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that is doing a, then if you're doing that then you know that you're giving yourself the freedom to fucking take that character, yes. you know, and do so much more. It seems yeah. like a real missed opportunity. It does. But it, like I said, that is a, that's what I felt about it. It's, it's a long film. It's a good three hours long. Mm-hmm. And it is definitely a missed opportunity because it, it does look absolutely stunning when you're watching it. Yeah. Yeah. But just felt felt a missed chance. And it's uh, one of those films where you, you can give it a one star if you're really angry at it. You probably people will give it a ten star because they love certain aspects of it. Mm. I would put it in the middle. I'd, I'd say it's a six out of ten. Um, and I know you wanted to speak a wee bit about um, you were kind of saying before we started recording about the, the kind of use of female nudity and stuff like that. So is this again? Yeah, it feels unnecessary in this. It's there for the sake of it and not because of the story. Yeah, there's a scene involving Ken Robert. Um, I think it's Bob, uh, John Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Um, that involves not nudity, but there's a sexualized scene in it that I felt it, it didn't need it. It didn't need to be there. Yeah. It didn't need to go on for as long as it did, and I felt like the point was made much earlier. Yeah. Again, that's what it felt like. This is for like the male watching it; they want to see this. Yeah, you know. And yeah, I which... personally go like, I don't really need to see that anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah which again we've spoken about this before is it's still a thing, still a problem mm-hmm. and in this day and age. It's you know it's becoming more and more and more obvious. Um, it's never going to go away. There's always going to be an element of exploitation. Yeah, I mean it always. Um, but, but you know with, with filmmaking like this, it sounds like you know it is even for a certain class. It, it does sound you know like did you have to? Aye, well there's a, there's a film out on Amazon just now. It didn't sound a couple of months ago. It's called X. Have you seen it yet? Ty West X. No, I've not. No, no, not when yet. Amazon Prime, there's nudity and stuff in that, and I kind of got like it's a, it's about an, it's an exploitative movie. They're trying yeah. to make the, the, the pastiche in that, so it's like I get it in that film, mm. um, and it seems to make sense. But in this film, it just didn't really seem to need to make sense. Yeah, it didn't have you know? to be there. Yeah. So yeah, six out of ten for me for that one. And then from that column, we'll move on to the other film you saw today in the cinema, which was a David Bowie documentary called Moon Age Daydream. Is that correct? Moon Age Daydream, yeah, which is the the, the title of one of his songs. Um, so this is a two and a half hour. I'm I'm going to use the word documentary loosely. Um, yes. About David Bowie, which has been fully sanctioned by the Bowie Estate. Yes. Um. So they, you know, they're happy with it. Um. The the the, the kind of buzz on this one is that it, it's presenting a lot of unseen footage. Um. And it's kind of interspread with kind of trippy acid imagery. Um. The, and yeah, that that that's it. Um. I'm I'm about. I wouldn't say I'm a very super fan. You know. I'm, no. I'm not. I'm you know. I'm not not kind of proper fan, but but I do like. David Bowie, I grew up, you know, my dad listened to him when I was yeah. a kid, and I listened to him when I was a bit older, you know, and he, he's still he's still relevant. He's, he's, he's David Bowie for a reason, you know, he's, he's, he's a legend, um, you know, and stuff like that. Um, this, I went in expecting so much more than I got. This was just a two and a half hour um, mad train wreck of footage of Bowie performing live intersped with these like kind of weird random images you know that are kind of mm. bits of films and stuff like that but we know correlation or no explanation as to why you're seeing you know that this i mean it, it jumps fast it doesn't stop mm. when it moves it's like, it's like snap 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 you know all the way through it 
Um, you know, you've got loud music and then you'll have like, you know, him talking in the background over the music with images flashing at you. So it moves all over the place. But there's never a kind of solid link between it all. Um, it does kind of move to a certain chronological order. So it starts out with Bowie starting out in the kind of 70s, mm. takes him up to the 80s, up to the 90s, and doesn't kind of go beyond that. Mm. But it doesn't cover a lot of stuff in between, like Tin Machine, stuff like that, you know, yeah. um, leading up to his death. It doesn't touch on that at all. It doesn't mention his death in the slightest. Um, so it does seem very, you know, it's just jumps around a lot and it's all over the place. Um, the music, when it comes on... It's always nice to see and hear about it. Um, and, you know, it, it kind of does, some of the interviews um, do let him talk enough to realise, you know, how much of a chameleon he was and how he knew how to change characters to, to keep up with what was modern, what was current, and that's how mm. he's always, you know, kind of stayed the icon that, that, that he is. But in terms of unseen footage, I don't think there was that much that's not, been seen. Well, here's um, a question, right? So it's written by Brett Morgan, um, who's actually got a bit of a history. He done the Kurt Cobain one called Montage of Heck. He done that which one. I've seen as well, yeah. yeah. He did um, The Kid Stays in the Picture, the documentary on that book. If you remember that one about um the who's the producer, um Robert Evans. It's, it's all about his life story, the producer who was by all counts fucking mental. Um, okay. <laughs> um anyway, um so even you said you're not a Bowie super fan. Did you come out of this with any new information about Billy? I didn't. In the yeah, and I, feel, I feel that that is sealed. Yeah, that that's a thing. And it is, I mean, it's it's long. Um, that there was times when I was, you know, I could feel myself nodding off, and this is well, you know, fucking in this, the big screen cinema. You know, there, there's footage of him getting blasted at me, and you know, yeah. just nodding off and try to kind of focus and stay awake and try to keep my attention on there and. It's a, it's a grind. Um, I hats off to these fuckers that have watched this seven hour Beatles documentary. Um, do you know what I mean? That that's that's insane. Um, yeah, on its own, but this at two and a half hours, it really needed a lot of revision in the cutting room floor. There's a lot of scenes they do. Um, where like, um, it's not a spoil. Um, at the start, there's like a kind of three or four minute. Um, continuous shot of him traveling through an airport in Japan, going up like kind of escalators and stuff like that. And they use that same shot and, and kind of scene three yeah. times throughout the movie. There's a lot of stuff that they'll use again and again and again. And you're like, you must have had more footage than, than this, do you know what I mean? Um, there must be more interviews and stuff like that. They don't mention his kids. They briefly mention one of his marriages, stuff like that. Do you know what yeah. I mean? The, the, his bisexuality is, you know, given three minutes point. of time and stuff like that. Yeah, so it is very... I, I don't know who it's aimed at. Um, you know, if you don't know much about Bowie, you may get a wee bit from it. If you it's, know a wee bit about Bowie, you get nothing from it. Aye, it's, like if you know, if, you, if, you know, if you've never heard of David Bowie, it might be more like a good kind of introductory piece to him. But yeah. like, who hasn't heard of David Bowie? It, it, exactly. It just doesn't. You know, for for all it's kind of said to be, and let's say that there's this whole hoo ha about it. You know, revealing all this new stuff and giving new footage and all that. It, it didn't open up the world that is David Bowie in the slightest at all, which was a real shame because I was I was quite excited about this. Um, and like I say, it, it kind of throws in bits of movies and stuff like that, like old 50s movies, but mm. it doesn't give you... Context as to why they're there. Yeah, I'm like, was that his favourite movie? Was that mm. his favourite... You know, but like, kind of scenes are like, you know, like, kind of Plan 9 from Outer Space. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, why is that? You know, yeah. I don't... I get he done like Ziggy Stardust and all that. Is it in relation to that? I, I yeah. don't know. Do you know what I mean? Because you don't, you, you don't tell me. Um, the sound mix was a bit weird as well. A lot of the interviews I say, there's kind of music in the background with him talking as well so you're kind of really struggling to hear a lot mm. of what's on with with the, the kind of interview segments as well but yeah um it did seem like this could have been i want to say an hour documentary and you would have got the exact same as you did from a two and a half hour documentary out of, 10. Out of 10 uh i'll give it a five because it's david bowie and i enjoyed the music um if i was rating it you know as, as a kind of documentary for information I'd give it a three. Um so we'll, we'll be kind and give it a five because you know, R. I. P. David.
Yeah. Well, this, is not, this has not been a good week for us so far, Colin. It's been a quite so a, a very far, good it, week. It, it has been a very... Well, the TV shows have been good. Um, Andor, yeah. Andor was good as well. There you go. They're, 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 Andor was very good. There you go. I've not watched Andor yet, so I have to... After I finish... You've um, got a lot of watching to do tonight, so a lot... I was planning to watch Andor, but then I put the bear on for one episode, and I'm like going, oh, motherfucker, I'm into this. <laughs> so um, here we go. Um, on from that, the, the um, film I've watched, and it's a film that's on Apple Plus, so... Like you say, Colin, I may be the only person in the country that's watching this the film. UK single Apple watcher. Apple Plus watcher. Um, <laughs> it has a film called The Greatest Beer Run Ever, um, directed by Peter Farley, so best known for things oh. like Dumb and Dumber, mm. Stuck on You, Kingpin, and most recently, the amazingly, bizarrely Oscar-winning the Green or Green Book, remember it won the yeah, best? Yeah, yeah. That, I, I forgot he, he done, it wasn't the two of them, it was just him who done that one, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like, fuck, that's yeah. fucking... Oh, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's when you look, look back on and go, really? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, but then anyway, much like Coda, I think. Years to come, Coda will be much in the same boat then. Is that like, oh, really? There um, was a lot of stick over that. The, the, the green room wasn't over. There was a lot of, you know. The white savior aspect to it. Yeah, yes. oh, yeah. Yeah, that feels so, like. The plot of this one is essentially that it's set during the Vietnam War. Um, New York, there's a, a young guy, sort of, he's a merchant sailor, so he doesn't have to, he's not having to go to war. He's um, basically running the merchant navy. Um, and, but he had a point of idea, because he feels bad, all his friends are sent to war, some of them are dying. He wants to try and raise their spirits, um, and so he decides to take a bunch of beer over to Vietnam and give it to all his, basically, street mates um, to make them feel better. He thinks it's a great idea, and it will get him the war experience and also show that he isn't a coward and he wants to be involved in the war. He's, he's not okay, trying. So first question, true story? Or not? Based on a true story, yes. Okay, cool. Um, okay. Couple of that, you've got the, the, the family's with her split, you know, his dad's very pro-war, you know, this is America doing the right thing, and then you've got your sister who's very much involved in the anti-Vietnam movement. It's, so, so it's two worlds pulling each other to threads. Yeah. Um, so you've got the main guy in it, the guy who's going on the beer run is Zac Efron. Um Assisted in some way by Russell Pro playing like a reporter. Weirdly, Bill Murray is a bar owner in New York for literally 10 minutes out of the whole film, playing a role that really should be played by his brother, to be honest, rather than played by him. Like if, if like, is it Brian Boyle Murray? That's his brother, isn't it? He's in, um, yeah, yeah. If he played this role, it would make absolute sense. Sense, but Bill Murray, Bill Murray, you go. You've you've got you've got a list in there doing a D list job, and yeah, but Bill does that. Bill just, he just, he just I think Bill likes Peter Farley. I think they work together on Kingpin. Yeah, yeah. So he's maybe thinking, do you know what? I've seen this script because he's notoriously hard to get. So he's maybe just been that's the day he's looked at his phone and thought, oh, I'll take that. Okay. I'll take that. So he's in it. Yeah. Um, Kyle Allen, uh, Ruby Circus, Andy Circus's daughter, um, oh. Will Rop, Paul Arrowstein, and Archie Renault is in it as well. Okay, so that's quite. I mean, that's a solid cast, though. Hasn't very it? solid that, cast. That is, yeah. One of my favourite films that is largely forgotten by the world is a film called Air America. Do you know this film? Yeah, Mel Gibson. I love Air America. Yeah, yes, so it's largely yeah. forgotten, but I love it. I, I watched that mm-hmm. like ridiculous, movie. and it's a very good anti-war movie. Like it's sort of it's set yeah. in the war, and it's and it basically it's take it's ripping the whole out of what war is and what it means, and going like this yeah, is yeah. fucking stupid. That's yeah. what I hoped this would be. This is not. This is almost like <laughs> you know. So it's like good. Where's my car level? Stupidity. No, this is more like trying to realign America's placement in the Vietnam War as the good guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it feels like... America's accepted that they weren't the good guys. Yeah. That's been put to bed by yeah, America. This, it felt insanely misguided. And I'm like, I don't think you need to know your history because, like, no one's... Wow. And by the end, it does try and recalibrate towards the end. But yeah. it's so heavy-handed to begin with that any recalibration doesn't really work it feels like that gets more muddled like going it's almost like it's almost like someone watching mash and thinking it's like it's 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 real it's like no mash is taking the piss yeah yeah the it almost sounds like frat boys does vietnam that's mm. all a little bit the same, a little yeah. bit yeah, yeah. Um, um, hell. and i think they don't paint the zach efron character as he should be as an idiot because mm. that's what he is he's an idiot for yeah. doing this yeah, they paint yeah, him course, as yeah. as some red, white, and blue hero. He's, he's a patriot, you know. Yeah, for doing this. Oh yeah, hurrah! Yeah, yeah, oh, that's hell, man. It's very odd. Um, 
so like I said, the, the plot realizes it's a bit mixed towards the end, so it tries to sort of like jam in this plot towards the end to try and like sort of bring it back, not to the America was wrong, but at least more to the middle a little bit. But by doing that, it gets a little bit more, even more muddled. And you're going to go, oof, it just felt so, so messy. I think um, America seems to be in, in as much a mess as Britain is. Just, yeah. Um, do, you, do you think this is a response to new administration, stuff like that? Do you think it's a response to that? Is it a right-wing response to, to Possibly. America I feel not, it could be Peter Farley, who, based on like what I saw with, with um, the Green Book, he seems to think he's doing the right thing, but no one's telling him, you're, oh, this is you. <laughs> There's mm. too many white guys in the room calling thinking they're doing the right thing when they really need somebody yeah. to go, maybe hold back a bit, Mount Lads. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, here's a book. Go read this, read that Wikipedia. There's a Wikipedia yeah, yeah, page. Read, yeah. that more. read like that and then come back to me. Like, literally, there's not a single Vietnamese person in this. Fuck. You know, it's like you always see the American soldiers, you see one, sorry, that's why you see one person who's working in a bar. So um, it, it's again, it's again, insanely white for a Vietnam War. When, I, when most of the war was, the big point of the, the Vietnam War was, not big point, but one of the things was, predominantly, not predominantly, but it was a large, like sort of bigger percentage of like black Americans yeah. were sent to the war there because oh, yeah. as, a, as a way to get out of prison sometimes, that was like, it was given as an option yeah. and things like that. And also, Lower economic areas, this became an oh, option to go and so, expendable, basically. Essentially, yeah, yeah that's yeah. what the American government essentially thought. Yeah. So, but it's a very uncolored film in that respect, it's very white. Um, so you also get Bill Murray in a very bizarre role. Russell Crowe is in it, and he's not in it enough to make any sort of real impact to the point you go, it makes sense. Which is um, odd as well because the Australians kind of got fucked over in Vietnam. Majorly and they understand over. that as majorly. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, this was, this was unfortunately a bit of a mess. I went in with high hopes because, like I said, I went in with like Air America-esque hopes um, <laughs> and never really got it. Also, oh, it did no. make me wonder what's Efron's career looking like now? He, he, he seems to have shown he's not quite got a charm in the, the, the sort of the draw to be a leading man. Efron's a weird. The problem is, is that I like Zach Efron, but yeah, he's making silly choices. Um, I would say after the last showman, great showman, yeah, the great showman. Sorry, he kind of could have handpicked what he wanted to do, and, and he's not handpicked well. No, no, and I don't know if it's him or his age or what. But on papers, it's not a bad idea. You know, it's directed by an Oscar-winning director. Yeah, similar kind of subject, Martin. The sense it's about you know sort of patriotism and you know what America's role in, in history. So you go, oh, this this could work for me. No, no. But is there going to be a lot of reviews on IMDb by right wing Americans saying this is a great film? This Possibly, is, I, I, this I, is this is where you know because you know a film is an ideology for. For, for yes. Being. Not, not. Do you mean that this is a problem? Who's the film for? Uh, exactly. That that's a, that's a very good question. I yeah. feel those people don't have Apple Plus. So. Well, it's only you just got Apple Plus. Well, it's true. I'm, <laughs> I'm the one person who's seen and reviewing greatest beer run ever, and I'm going to give it. I'm going to give it a three out of ten because I really didn't enjoy it. Oh, how right? So let, let's do on a wee teeny bit longer. How were well the performances? So, oh, so it's a bad film, right? Yeah, I, the performances I, I went bad. Everyone, everyone's doing a solid job in terms of what they're doing. They're, they're mm. bit, they're obviously been directed and they've been misguided with what they've been told to do. Um, mm. The script is exceptionally heavy-handed. You know, it. it as much subtlety as a brick to the face, you know, it's, it's not mm. in any way trying to be, you know, clever. So they are delivering lines with the best ability, and they are all everyone in it is, are good actors. There's no question on that. You know, Russell Crowe, Zach Efron, they're all good actors, but they're they're working with material that's just not good. Yeah, yeah, three out of ten, dude. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's been your look. That's been your low score for a long time, Mister. You've been quite generous. I've been quite like wow. He's, he's kind of, you know, he's really been, been fair to these scores, but that's, um, that's scathing. Like I said, maybe, maybe my hopes again for an Air America-esque were um, misguided and that's what's caused me. It is, I think, if you're going to do a Vietnam movie, but, you know, you, yeah, look at the history first, you know, and kind of think yeah. about, you know, the, the state of the world just now and what you're trying to say and how that's going to, Precisely. Going to land on your exceptionally tone deaf in this world. Oh wow! Um, okay, so I'm, I'm not going to watch that. Then. No, don't watch you, it. You've, you've talked me about that one. Yep. Um, 
Right, going on to our last film of the week, and it's one that I've seen, you've not, you're never going to see it because it's set in the past, and you don't like things that are set in the past. I don't like things that are set in the past, mm-hmm. no. I do um, so this one's called Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. It's based on a book, I think it's about the third or fourth adaptation of this said book. I've only I've never seen a version of the book adapted before until now. Um, directed by Anthony Fabian, who directed a film called Louder Than Words, uh, Good Hope and Freeze Frame, none of which I've seen, but they are out there if you're looking for them. Um, so this story set in the uh, post-World War II, 1950s. Uh, Mrs. Harris, she's living quite a kind of sad existence. She's Her husband's been missing in action from World War II, but he's not been declared dead. And at the start of the film, he, he gets declared dead. Um, so she's now sort of free to live her life. Um, she cleans houses, she does all these kind of jobs. And when she's cleaning like, kind of the rich person's house, she finds sees the woman has got a dress. It's by Christian Dior. And it's a very pretty dress. And the woman, she's, she's a seamstress. She falls in love with this dress and she wants one for herself. So she's okay. now about raising enough money so she can go to Paris and get Christian Dior to make her a dress for her. Um, she gets, spoilers, first act, she, she gets all the money to get to go to Paris. When she Why gets, doesn't she just buy the dress from a shop in Britain? Christian Dior, it's 1950s, didn't do that. You, had to, you literally had to go to this place and they had to make it for you. They only made one of each dress. Okay, good. There's, there's no such thing as mass, fa- mass fashion. It wasn't like it was sold everywhere. It was just sold in this there's one shop. There's no or, or department store you've got to buy it, no? Okay. It was okay, sold in cool, this. Cool. The only place you could buy a Christian Dior dress was in a Christian Dior shop in Paris, and there's only Satisfact- one shop. Satisfactory answer. Cool. Yep. Okay. Uh, when she gets there, basically, they don't want to sell the dress because she's uh, the weak and a fuddy-duddy housewife from... From from England, mm. um, and not becoming of the Christian Dior brand and what the, what the dress is. Okay, sounds but, awful so far. Keep going. Well, she's there. A lot of the, the workers in the in the Christian Dior store start to fall in love for her because she's a lovable person, um, and the story develops from there. As she struggles about trying to get this dress that, will, that she, she she wants to make her feel happy. She's after. basically fucking delight, isn't she? Yeah, so anyway. She's like Nanny McPhee on steroids. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mrs. Harris is played by Leslie Manville. You've got uh, Isabella Hubert playing the sort of receptionist, shop girl, what you might call her, the kind of, well, she's actually head of the Christian Dior, which you call her shop girl, um, head of Christian Dior, um, Lambetta Wilson, Alba Baptista, Lucas Bravo, and Lucas Brave, sorry, and Ellen Thomas. Okay, so as you can imagine, this film it is a very much a lovely bank holiday charming movie. Sounds saccharine, sir. It saccharine. is very saccharine. It is, it definitely <laughs> is. There's not much going on other than the fact it's quite a lovely watch. Leslie Manville is excellent. She brings so much warmth to the role. She's extremely watchable and she's being a character who, un- in the wrong hands, could be quite an irritating character, I think. Yeah. She brings a lot of charm to you feel, and you actually do find yourself rooting for her. And she's, she's and I and I quite liked her in it. Um the three acts, it's very much structured in the three acts. You've got her trying to get to Paris her in Paris, and then her try to get the dress, so, or the problems of getting the dress, and her invasions yeah. into prison society. So they all very clearly defined. They all move at pace, never really dull, but it is formulaic. You can see where this yeah. film is going to go from yeah. the moment the titles roll. There's nothing particularly, you know, you know, out is there it with it. The, Is it a kid's movie? Is no, it it's definitely more aimed at your, 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 your granny. Right, okay. okay. Definitely more in that line. Um, right. So it's definitely along those lines. So, but very warmly directed that does adhere to some quite insane stereotypes. You know, every, the Frenchman he first meets is drinking wine while eating a baguette. You know, it's not <laughs> <laughs> wearing a stripy jumper and onion round his neck. Well, that's the only miss, you know, all the French are very rude and very dismissive of the English. You know, it's, it's very much painted. If we talk about, you know, blonde was painted from the male gaze and, yeah. you know, beer rum is. Um, you know, painted from the, the American gaze. This is very much painted from the British the British gaze yeah, of like you know imagine. how we how the British see the French. Is it filmed in Paris? It seems like it, yeah. I mean there's yeah. no real glory shots of the Eiffel Tower or anything like that, but it does yeah. feel Parisian, but I'll probably Parisian, yeah. I'm gonna check that now because it may be from the road, but it, it's <laughs> fucking shot Keep in Glasgow. <laughs> remember the last time we were they were shooting that film that we outside our working it, it was it was supposed to be like Denmark or something, remember? Yeah, and I've done Bollywood films in Glasgow and stuff like that. Oh, well. yeah, so, so who, who knows? It's insane. It's movie magic. I'm curious to have London. It's set in Glasgow and stuff like that. It's all crazy. Yeah, I am. Um, I'm having a look at your film. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. It was filmed, uh, 
some of it was filmed in Paris, but a lot of it was filmed right. in Budapest, apparently. So, um... <laughs> which uh, yeah, I kind of yeah, I, I get the aesthetic would be similar. I do get it actually. I'm yeah. sensing looking at the list of places it was filmed. Um, exteriors were Paris, interiors were all filmed in Budapest. Okay, that's sure. the vibe I'm getting yeah. from it. Um, okay. You also have Jason <laughs> Isaacs in it doing a very good um, Northern Irish accent, which I quite he, oh, he, he plays a lot, but he decides to be charming figure in it. Um, but yeah, like I said. It's not. It's nothing you don't expect from it. it you, if you look at the poster, you can probably almost pick the plot out. You know, from <laughs> the, the poster, titles, you can pick the, pick the plot. plot out. So, but for what it was, I found it very charming and very warm, and I actually quite enjoyed it. Does it run for long, or is it a quick film? No, it's like hundred minutes or something like that. It's yeah, like, yeah so it just comes comes and goes. Could yeah, has it got the same kind of charm as like Mary Poppins and and? Dynamic and stuff like that. Does it have that kind of sweetness to it? That, yeah, that very of, much yeah. so. Very much so. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what it would be like. You know, it's got to be a bit more of a kind of maybe exotic marigold hotel vibe to it a little yeah. bit as well. You I know, can almost kind of, imagine Paddington assisting up at some point. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's got that. It's, it's definitely a warm film that it's trying not to look at the, the dark side. I mean, there is darkness in it because like, she's quite a sad character because she's, like, she's, she's been pining for her husband for like 10, lost for 10 husband, years. Yeah. yeah, and yeah. it's like she's never moved on, even though everyone knows he's dead, but she's like refusing to, you know, even reconnect with anybody, mm. you know, any sort of male suitor who might like her, you know, because, yeah. well, no, I don't want to hook up with you in case my husband walks in the door. It's like he's been gone for Which is sweet. Oh, okay. there's, there's, there's an old-fashioned love there that's definitely there. It is, it is very romantic. Um, but, you know, for what it's worth, it might probably get the highest rating of this week. I, I gave it six and a half out of ten. It is the highest. So Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris is actually the highest rated film this week. This week. Which is fucking insane. Yes, <laughs> but I stand by it. If um, I had to watch, honestly, see if I think what, looking at everything we've watched this week, I've watched, if I had to watch one again, like forced to watch one again, I'd watch Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris again over any of the other ones. There is one we're saving for next week that I've watched that you have not been able to spend night. That would we'll watch that out, yeah. That that would flatten everything, but we'll okay. talk about that once you've watched it because there's there's stuff to be discussed there that, that we both need to have Fair knowledge enough. of. See, I've not watched Venues and Bowie, so I don't the Bowie one, so I don't know that for sure. But honestly, yeah. I mean I, would, I probably wouldn't watch any of the films we'll talk about this week again. <laughs> but if I had to watch one of Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. If I heard the gun at your head and say, which one you would go to, Mrs. Harris? Yes, because I feel that's inoffensive. Um, and, <laughs> um, but as for this we, week, next we, week... Do, we do have some strange weeks in this show, don't we? we do. Like, yeah, and just, I quite like it. The breadth of film we watch is quite interesting. It's stuff and it's just like a boiling pot of like, what the fuck have we watched and why? <laughs> and I guess it's because... People need to know, I guess. I yeah, and we like, I like watching films. I mean, come three weeks ago, yeah. we're talking about Crimes of the Future, and now we're talking yeah. about Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris. You know, it's like. Yeah, yeah, which I think is actually just scored higher than I scored Crimes of the Future. You did, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, as for this week, next week, it's an interesting week we've got at the cinema, Amsterdam. Which I'm quite intrigued about, yeah. David O. Russell. Yeah. yeah, the reviews seem a bit kind of all over the place, but I'm definitely not intrigued. Yeah. Definitely much the same. Um, you've also got The Lost King. Intriguing as well, yeah. Have you yeah. seen the trailer for The Lost King? I have seen the trailer. You know the trailer gave away the whole so fucking story in the, in the, in the trailer? Uh, uh, the trailers, but you, I mean, this is... No, but this is like not even subtle. It actually tells yeah. you the entire plot. I mean, I know the story anyway. But you but, went through a phase of avoiding trailers completely, remember, because yeah. they were just so full of spoilers and basically but, told you that, that and yeah, this, 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 this gives you. Lost King is a, it's a story about them trying to find the, the remains of Richard III, um, yeah. one of the last yeah. kings, one, a king of England. Yeah. His bodies went missing after his death, and it's and it, been missing for like 500 years or something. Yeah. Like and it, it does, it gives you, from, from the three-minute trailer, you do get the entire story. Did, did you get a journey? Yeah. Uh-huh. So Which like, is insane. Yeah. Kind of mad that they've done that. And, and I know I know it's a true story. People might know the story already, but it felt like Jill didn't know the story. And she was going, yeah. I want to see that, but now I know what happened. So they really need to go and see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I almost, yeah, it's like the trailer gives you, the trailer is like the ending of the movie almost. Mm-hmm. You know, wow, don't yeah. go back, leave it. Because I didn't a, know. There's actually a line in the trailer where Steve Coogan goes, Talks to his kids and goes, "You never guess what, boys," and then tells them what's happened. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, because <laughs> like, I, I did, I didn't know the story in right, through okay. the trailer. Yeah, I do feel like, yeah, I, I don't need to see the movie because I know exactly what happened in the movie. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. that's how. But it does look very charming, very much in the sort of Sunday yeah. movie, bank holiday movie. Yeah. 
on Netflix, we've Netflix, we've got um, a Stephen King adaptation. Which one? Mr. Harrigan's Phone. Oh, that's a new one. It's one of it's in that short stories book you done. Oh, the Batman books. Oh. And recently, that no, one of the, it was like a recent like oh, right, of okay. stories. Okay, so remember, I, I've kind of dropped off King going from the nineties onwards. So no, this this was this came out recently. It was like um, there's a couple of really good short stories in it, and this was this is one of them. At first, I remember I, I, I thought it was maybe a Joe Hill story. Um, but it's not. It's dead. It's one. Just one of his. I remember one. Is it? It's one with a motorbike in front of it. I'm trying to remember the name of the book now. Mm, not sure at all. But no, sure. I'll watch it. Stephen King. So I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Stephen King. Yeah. So it's that's on Netflix. On Amazon, you get Catherine called Birdie, which you're not going to watch because it, it's a period, period piece, period drama. I'm so not going to watch it. Sorry. I will watch that one. And also, we will watch. I am going to watch Werewolf by Night, and we'll talk about Werewolf by Night. Yeah, which is, is very much fun. Uh, we've still got what's out just now. We've still got to watch um, the, the Women King. Women King right? still, I've not seen what I thought you see Smile. Yeah. You've seen that. We'll talk that about to you yeah. at some point. Uh, no more previous no movie on uh, Gmail, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So you can look us up in all those places and talk to us about the movies that we talk about to you and let us know if you think the same as us. So, you know. How good is Mrs. Harris goes to Paris? Is it is it is it that good that it fucking this week's story? Well, it was that good. It was just better than everything else we saw this week. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a very it's a very strong cav. It's like I've been calling, you've been Richard. And we've been Booyah. <laughs> Three beers in a movie.